1: talk shop
0: for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program from the Real Housewives of New York City, Ramona Singer. Ramona, thanks for calling. How are you?
2: I'm good, Neil, and I'm very excited to see my Dating experiences replayed out on Love Connection with Andy Cohen this Thursday.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. One question, then I want to get right to that. Now, can you imagine being part of the Real Housewives in New York City and how the Real Housewives brand has grown from the first time you did the show? You just have to be absolutely blown away of the success.
2: Actually, yeah. I mean, I knew it'd be successful the moment we started filming. I actually told production company that we're going to average one million viewers, and they thought I was crazy, but I was right. But I never imagined my wildest dreams that 10 years later I'd still be on the show, and it would reach such international support and just yeah. be such a phenomena.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 I, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away as well. And you got to think about one person, especially doing the the show you're going to do with Andy Cohen, that Andy has a lot to do with the, 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 cre- of how this, how Bravo's grown and in the housewives brand for sure.
2: Yeah, Andy is extremely talented, and I was very flattered. And because I respect him and enjoy him so much as a person, I said, you know what, I will do this love connection show, and I will jump out of my element and do something different. And I looked at it as a big adventure, because you know what? that's what dating is. You can't look at like, oh, is this going to be the right person for me? You have to look at it as an adventure. And I figure it was good practice for my dating experiences.
0: <laughs> so I bet you're working with it. A- when Andy told you to, that you're going to do this, you said, oh, my gosh, Andy's going to make me blush. Andy's going to make me laugh. Uh, I just can imagine how the show is going to go, right, for our, for our listeners are going to tune in. Yeah, well, you
2: know, you're going to. Yeah, I mean, Andy knows me so well. I mean, there was um, actually, um, I think it was on the clip where one of my dates, um, Andy's like saying, Was there a kiss involved to this gentleman? And he said, I'll defer to the lady. And Andy's just like, oh, I really know what happened. I know what happened. Of course, we didn't say. But, you know, Andy just, he gets me, he knows me. And it's, it was really fun doing it, I have to say. And the viewers will see me out of my element and they'll get to see a different side of me. And I think that'll be very interesting.
0: Absolutely. So for the guys out there that would die to, to, to date Ramona, what are you looking for in a guy?
2: Well, first, on a superficial level, I like someone who's in their 50s, someone who's been married before. And because I did not know what marriage and commitment is, and someone who has children but only older, 18 and older. Because if you don't have children, you won't relate to how close I am to Avery, and I really don't want to hang out with, like, 10-year-olds or 6-year-olds. Been there, done that. Then, on a more um, deeper level, someone who's warm, considerate, doesn't take himself seriously, likes to have fun, likes to laugh, embraces life, um, is giving, smart doesn't have to work too hard from eight to eight every day. Cause you know, we've, I've already done that. And just someone that can really just roll with it and just enjoy life and embrace it.
0: Cause you saw it Ramona, right? You saw it with, uh, the relationships you've had where, you know, you've worked maybe too much or they've worked too much. And it's just like, there's no time for that intimacy. Is there if they're just constantly on the go?
2: Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because I had a date with this one gentleman and he said, we had a very interesting conversation. You, said to me, you know, Ramona, uh, someone once asked people that were in hospice, what's their greatest regrets from their life? And what they said, working too hard, not spending enough time with their family and friends. And you know what? You have to live in the moment. We can't worry about what happened yesterday right. or tomorrow. Live in the moment.
0: And living in that moment m- means fun. So how how I'm, were the guys nervous because the cameras were rolling? With you, Ramona, especially with your how well
2: you know it's interesting. Yeah. The way this was done, Love Connection is basically um, the cameras weren't rolling when we we're on the date. then they would every every thirty minutes in the date or every hour, like say in the beginning, middle, and end, we would then have um, the cameras ask us what we thought about the date. So um, that was you know that was okay.
0: <laughs> and what but what about yourself in saying okay uh the, the did you get to choose the guys or did Andy choose them for you
2: Well um Love Connection team, they picked the three different men. One is like I think a wrestler, one is a retired fireman, one is um he quit his company and now he's pursuing um sports casting and modeling. Oh. So there are three very diverse type of gentlemen and you'll have to see which one I connected with and how I connected. But the most interesting thing is one of the dates, he took me, he said, Oh, I'm gonna take you to this really great restaurant, you're gonna really love it. It's my all time favorite. And it was one of those chain restaurants where they serve tons of bread and salad, all you can eat. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like a great restaurant. I kept my mouth shut. I was a lady. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I'm into my wine. So, like, oh, let's get a slight of different tasting wines. And she's like, well, I, I only like wines that taste like grape soda.
3: I'm like, okay. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: <laughs> oh, no. And so would you say wrestler? Is it a professional wrestler or an amateur wrestler that you dated?
2: I think he... I don't know. All I know is on this date he was like dying for me to look at his abs, and he'd do everything to to have me look at his abs. I mean, he's like, "What's your favorite part of a man's body?" And I go, "Well, the shoulders," or and like because he wanted me to touch his abs. It was the most hysterical
0: thing. Oh, this is going to be great. I just could see who they picked for you, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh my, I'm going to hear hear it." Especially when it airs again on uh, July 13th on Fox at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Uh, Ramona. And just funny, funny things. And I know with you're just you keep busy with New York, uh, Real Housewives of New York City, don't you? You're just, you just you keep on going, don't you? With all the different things happening.
2: Yeah, well, we're actually going to be filming the reunion on Wednesday, so I have to be up at six o'clock in the morning. I won't we'll be finished till eight o'clock at night, and it's going to be a hairy day So all seven of us get together and we duke it out verbally.
0: And it's amazing that the you've stayed on the show when you've seen so many of the other women go other places or come back and stay, and you've been there. So you have that, that, that ability to understand specifically uh, how to play it, right, and and, and stay safe at some times, no, right? Well,
2: I'm just me, and yeah. I'm, I'm unedited, and it does get me into trouble at times. I mean, the whole situation with Destiny, I mean, playing it all back, I mean, I was trying to hurt her because— she was hurting me, but you know what? Two rooms don't make a right, and then it made me twisted for almost the whole season because her being angry at me affected me terribly.
0: And I'm sure, and I'm sure you saw a different Bethany coming back than the one before because of the success she had after leaving Housewives, while well, you stayed. So that's always the interesting dynamic as you talk about overworking and success and relationships, as you talked about, and what you're looking for in a guy, well, friendship's the same thing. If things change in friends, once they focus on themselves more than the relationship, right?
2: Yeah, this is true. And, you know, I know one thing my friends have told me, my other friends have said it's what they respect about me, is that no matter how busy I'm in my life, no matter what trauma I'm going through that I'm always there for them. And a true friend should always be there for you and always forgive you for your mistakes. Because you know what? No one's perfect, and perfect's boring.
0: All right, we can follow you. Uh, um, where can we uh, follow you, Ramona, for all our listeners out there want to connect with on the Instagram spouse.
2: at Instagram, you know, at Ramona Singer.
0: Awesome. Instagram's That's fantastic.
2: Instagram and Twitter, at Ramona Singer.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for calling. I'm going to tune in July 13th, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox, and continue to uh, check you out. So thanks again for calling, Ramona. Thanks for taking the time. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and neilhaley.com, and I'm a huge fan of this guy. And uh, I loved him on The Five. I love him on different shows. I love how he is willing to speak up and say it like it is. Tell it like it is. So I'm excited to welcome the program from Fox, Eric Bowling, author of "The Swamp: How Washington's Murky Pool of Corruption and Cronyism and How Trump Can Drain It." Eric, thanks for calling. How are you? Thanks
1: for having me on. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm doing very, very well. I speak to the president quite often, and he's got his, he's got his work cut out for him to drain the DC swamp. It's pretty murky waters there.
0: Exactly. And what, are, what what about people that saying he is not doing that, Eric? That's the first question I'm going to draw on right now, especially with, you know, all these, if you watch the mainstream media, you hear all the time, specifically anti-Trump things. And no, he really did. He isn't draining the swamp, but from your research and what you've done, what do you you disagree completely with that? Right?
1: Well, here's the deal. Uh, no, so that's a common question. We'll, we'll do these interviews and they'll say, well, why isn't he draining the swamp yet? Um, uh, you look, he's bringing on all these Wall Street guys, and there, there's two answers to that. Number one, the Wall Street guys, we should be thrilled that these people, these highly successful corporate CEOs who know how to run businesses are running cabinets in, in our administration. We, As taxpayers and, and, and voters, we're, we're fortunate to be able to have those types of people in working for us against the, against the, a globe that wants to take us down. So I'm I'm thrilled that those people are working for us. As far as draining the swamp, why hasn't he done it yet? Well, he is. He's starting to. Now, remember, he's it's, this is five and a half months in. He's not even six months into office yet. And already he does things like the first—one of the first things he declared is, how come Air Force One and Air Force Two cost so much money? Now, have you ever heard a president ask how much something costs, especially something that was going to be for him? Right. Himself? No, yeah. I haven't heard it either. So he's treating the country like he would treat a corporation, treating the Oval Office like a boardroom. And I think that's the beginning of draining the swamp. Now, he spent a whole heck of a lot of time rolling back regulation. Rolling back regulation has has lit the economy on fire. It's, it's off to off, off the races. And I think that will give him the political capital to come back and drain the swamp. I don't think he realized how many Republicans he was going to be fighting as swamp creatures as well as Democrats. So it's going to take some time. These guys were cut out for him. But he's got the right ideas, and he's starting to do it now.
0: Does that frustrate you, Eric? That a lot some of the Republicans aren't supporting uh, President Trump in a way. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm a conservative Republican, and and I said that when I'm done with the TV career, I want to go after um, a, a a lying, squishy Senate Republican who who's who's sent to the to the D.C. swamp as a, as a representative of the people and gets there and just becomes one of the swamp creatures, a squishy Republican who, who isn't conservative at all. I, I'd love to primary one of those somewhere in the south, maybe southeast, think about it a little bit uh, and get them out. That really ticks me off. We have a president who's trying to do the best for everyone um, and, and we should get behind him on, on the right. A GOP should get behind the president. I'm not saying push through things like the health care plan, which I disagree with. I'm saying support the man, and what he's trying to do, breaking up TPP and other trade agreements. Those are all good things for America. Look at our economy. If you have any question on what he's doing uh, as far as regulation and the first few steps in office, check, check out how strong the economy is, and they'll tell you he's doing the right thing. I speak to Trump on a regular basis. A lot of what we talk about are in the book. A lot of the ideas that we talk about ended up in the book. So the swamp really does reflect some really, really qualified uh, ideas for, for draining the swamp. First part of the book is mostly about what is going on there. I think right. you'd be just blown away if you saw some of the stories, what, what, what they're willing to do once they get there to to, to stay there.
0: And you have to have the book to do it because, again, a lot of times the mainstream media will not want to talk about the accomplishments that President Trump has had, been able to do to, to roll back regulations so that specifically enough the economy can get going, that we're finally seeing this yeah, growth it, in the it, economy. It's amazing how
1: little people, real, how little people realize uh, what's going on in D.C., how much cronyism, cap, crony capitalism is going on, and even corruption, and maybe even illegality on some on some occasions, and how the Congress people, when they were, they're elected, they get to D.C. and they live by different rules and regulations than we do. They do things that we would be in jail for, tossed right in jail for throw away the key. Yet they get away with it, and it's, it's, it's even legal—maybe not be ethical, but certainly legal—for for them. They, they have different standards than we do. The book—we we address that in the first part of the book.
0: And it was interesting. I was uh, talking to Newt a couple weeks ago that Don, the President Trump is willing to hear other people's advice. So he's not the kind of person that just like, you know, certain people and politicians that, hey, it's my way or the highway. He is willing to listen to other advisors, other people, because he treats it like a business. So he says, hey, what do you have for me? That's the entrepreneur in him, yep. right? And that's what we yep. need. He, right? that's,
1: that's why. He That's why he brought high-level business people in to work with him, Rex Tillerson, Steve Mnuchin, Gary Cohn. Those are are extremely high-level corporate business people who know how to run companies. And I'm thrilled that that this administration wants to run the country the way they run corporations. That means cutting a whole lot of fat, and that's what we need to do to drain the swamps, cut the
0: fat. When you have conversations about what he's done well to somebody who is not pro-Trump, either Democrat, Republican, independent, how how do you kind of uh, sway them to see that really – to kind of explain this, that he's doing a lot of great things that just aren't coming out?
1: Yeah, well he- – Look at the economy. Look no further than turn on the TV and look where the stock market is. Look where the job market is. Look where your home price has gone up in value. Your wages are going up on a national average. At, at some some of those numbers are on record all time highs. So, if, if, if you think that the general population cares about a Russia tweet, or do you think they care about whether or not their their paycheck is bigger this week exactly. than it was a year ago? Of course, they care more about the paycheck. I mean, it's it, but but no one wants to talk about that in the mainstream media. They just want to give Trump a hard time. So. That said, drain the swamp. Book is everywhere—Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and everywhere in bookstores.
0: Well, Eric, congratulations on uh, the new deal with Fox and your uh, different shows. So, tell us also where we can watch you. Five o'clock every um, every day at five o'clock, correct? Eric, you have a show, correct, on Fox? That's
1: right, every day at five o'clock, Fox News Specialist, and Saturday morning at eleven thirty, all times Eastern.
0: You're awesome, man, and uh, and we can follow you on social media, all different places as well, right? Correct.
1: At Eric Bowling across the board, and uh, EricBowling.com for the book.
0: All right, well, Eric, uh, best of luck. Thanks for uh, calling, and good luck with the book and all your success with Fox. So, take care, man. Thank you, pal. All right, good see talking okay, to okay, you. Okay, okay, see you. All right, see you later. Okay, bye bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm ready. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NealHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program, country music legend Bobby Bear. Bobby, thanks for calling. How are you? You're
4: welcome. I'm great. Couldn't be better.
0: Well, fantastic, Bobby. You know, uh, tell me when you got started in country music. When did you know you were going to be a country musician? Did it just come to you? Tell me a little bit about that story. Well,
4: it's all I ever wanted to do since I was a teenager. <laughs> and, uh, so I put together a little band and played here, played there. And then I went to California when I was uh, about 19 years old. And then I hooked up with Chet Atkins back in Nashville in 62. And we started cutting hits. And I've had, uh, several of it's and Grammy, I got a Grammy award for Detroit city at wow. 64 and, uh, and gone on from there. And here I am and the year of 2017 still doing
0: it. And, that, and that's amazing. So how did it feel? Did you ever think when you were going to be in music that you would be, have a Grammy? I mean, that's just got to be a tremendous honor to have.
4: Well, to tell you the truth, and I got the Grammy in 1964, I had no idea what it was. I was just showing up because my manager asked me to, and it wasn't on television. And in 1964, the Grammy Awards had one Grammy for country music, and that was Record of the Year, and that's what I got. And uh, the Grammy's a big deal now, and they got... You know, probably twenty or thirty categories for right. country music. But back then, they had one, and that's what I got. And uh, and when I got it, I didn't even know what I had.
0: And at that so time, yeah,
4: uh, uh, it was just beginning.
0: And and, and really, and thinking about it, Bobby, country music has transformed in so many ways throughout the years. So at the time when country music was much different when you were started performing than it is today, for sure.
4: Yeah, it was different. The, uh, the mentality was the same. The record companies were going after a younger audience all the time, which made me made me uh, more valuable to uh, RCA Records because my records were way up in the pop charts and then they came up in the country charts. So I was selling on, uh, my core was both pop and country. And,
5: uh, and
4: it hasn't changed. They're still going for the younger audience, which uh, is the way it has always been because younger people buy more records. and That music is more dear to them than, uh, than older people. They don't have families to worry about.
0: Bobby, do you think your music has evolved since the 60s in so many ways, your you're, you're singing and stuff? You mean... Evolute. My
4: personal music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I got a lot of younger fans. All of my original fans are uh, are getting agey now. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they're
4: their uh, kids and their grandkids. I'm getting, you know, the whole bunch. Uh, when I do. Um, I do shows. I do shows all, do shows all, all over Europe, and the fans I made back in the '60s in Europe are, uh, when they were young, showing up now with their kids. That's great, uh, and their kids' kids, their grandchildren. So uh, one fan has evolved into about 20 people.
0: Bobby, do you think you're one of the people that has helped this, the country music business go from, uh, you know, just to one genre to, I mean, to pop culture in a lot of ways. And the the fact that you paved the way for some oh, of the yeah. artists.
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. I I, I think uh, when I started recording, I did, I had no desire to do what everybody else is doing. I, I, I wanted something new and fresh. And uh, to uh, move it forward. And uh, I know uh, in my first four or five years in having pop country is that uh, there was uh, people were kind of getting tired of rock and roll. And I don't know how many stations I went to that were changing from rock and roll to country. Right and uh, and I was responsible partially for that change and, uh, and right now i'm i guessing the country the the new country radio is 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 really popular. Now, I'm sure they
0: have more listeners than anybody. It's true, Bobby, because you're right. It was only specific areas of the country that listened to country music, meaning really, and it was really popular. Now it's all over the place and, and, and all over the world. And people like yourself have been able to do that. So it must have been a tremendous honor to be named one of the top 100 country music stars of all time, um, singers of all time. I mean, that's got to feel really good.
4: Oh, yeah, that was in Rome. Rolling Stone, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm 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 thrilled to be a member of the country music hall of fame. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, for sure. That's a big deal, for sure. And
4: uh, I have, uh, and I love all the all the new singers, and they all love me too. The the young people are just doing what young people do. They push. They push the line farther and farther. That's where it should be.
0: Absolutely. And you have a new you have a new album out. Things change. Tell us a little about that.
4: I'm doing a new album out called Things Change, and uh, uh, it's just an album of really great songs. uh, That's what I do is I find great songs, go in the studio, and record them. And I have uh, I have. my next record will be um, a song that Mary O'Shea was, I think, an excellent writer. And it's called I Drink. <laughs> and my, uh, the, the, the record that I have now is called Things Change. And I wrote that to go to my old friend, uh, Howard Axton, the actor, singer, songwriter. He used to say that. He used to say the only, only thing I've learned in my lifetime is uh, a cowboy hat will blow off a high wind. Women rule the world and things change. <laughs> and that's just about the way it goes.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so how long do you think you're going to perform for? Forever? Till the day you die, Bobby? You're going to perform?
4: Well, that's what I do. That's what I do. As long as I'm, uh, as long as I'm healthy, yeah, I love, I, I love uh, getting out in front of a bunch of people and uh, having fun with them. It's uh, I, I don't I don't want to tour anymore. I don't want to go on a uh, six months tour like a rock group. And, uh, it's uh, I th- I do the easy gigs. <laughs> I fly I fly into I fly into the town the night the day before and I do gigs, gig and I fly out.
0: And so you do have some tours still coming up. You're still touring but not touring the way you used to, right, Bobby?
4: No, I'm just doing the the the, the special uh pick uh special dates to do if they, I love to fish so I, I go to uh, Florida in the wintertime. I'll do the Florida State Fair, and I'll do different. I'll do a uh, country music cruise for uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, and fish for six weeks. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how I do it.
0: It's a win-win, right, Bobby? You go uh, perform and then enjoy yourself, right? So it's not like a, the, the the lag, right? Is, yeah.
4: Right, you go perform, make a whole lot of money, and go back fishing.
0: <laughs> so you love fishing, then, Bobby? for our, for our fan for your fans out there listening. You, so you enjoy fishing? Oh yeah,
4: I have all, all my all my life. A lot, a lot of people in the entertainment business love fishing. Uh, my old thirty year long fishing buddy Jerry Reed, who has uh, passed on now, I miss him and. Uh, uh, oh, uh, a lot of people love to fish. For sure. I think that's how uh, some people get drugs. <laughs> they go fishing.
0: <laughs> and it, it better have an addiction of uh, fishing, right, Bobby, than other things?
4: Well, fishing is, um, is, is good for you. It takes your mind off things. Concentrated on concentrating on catching the big fish.
0: Would you ever write a book, Bobby, about your whole life? Have you done that or thought about ever writing a memoir?
4: I've been asked it several times, and I always say, uh, When two more people die, I'll write a tell all book. <laughs> now, that those two, now that those two people have died, <laughs> I'm thinking about their children and their grandchildren. <laughs> Well, so I don't know about that tell-all book. I sure I, I sure could uh, get a lot of interest in it.
0: Well, you know what? The, the interesting thing about it, Bobby, you're cracking me up laughing, is, again, the, the days when you were touring, I mean, in the 60s, 70s, and on, when you've gone to town to town, to place to place, you have some stories to tell with some of the country music singers you were with, right? For sure. That's what you're saying. You can't, because then their grandkids oh, yeah. and all the, right?
4: Oh yeah, yeah. I've got seven grandchildren, huh. and uh, and they're uh, all they know is their their papa is famous. <laughs> so that's that's what they say. My hey. papa is famous. One of them come up to me the other day and said, "Papa, I know why you got a lot of money, and I know why you're rich." And I said, "Boy, is that?" Said because you're famous, <laughs> and uh, I said okay. Uh, it's uh, I know one of my one of my grandchildren. She loves Brenda Lee because every Christmas she dances to Brenda Lee singing Christmas songs. Oh. And we were over at the Hall of Fame, and I. She was dying, and Brenda was going to be there. I introduced her to Brenda Lee, and I took and and she's 11 years old, and she's the same, Her and Brenda Lee are at the same height. You know, Brenda's only four foot something. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I took a picture, and our pictures, our our, our 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 plaque is up on the wall in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, they're up on the wall together. It's me. And then here's Brenda Lee, and on the other side is Elvis.
0: Oh my gosh! And
4: I got the uh, her picture taken with Brenda standing in front of uh, of my plaque, Brenda's and Elvis. And she's so thrilled.
0: Now, Bobby, so did you know Elvis well, Bobby, in in your passing? I did not know Elvis. No, not at all.
4: But the time, but the time I got. Uh, but by the time I got far enough along in the business, Elvis was already isolated. He was already isolated. And, uh, uh but we commuted back and uh, we were in contact. Felton Jarvis, who produced his records, was also a friend of mine. And I think he produced one of mine, but, uh, um, I'd get messages from Elvis and I'd send him a message by I, I felt uh, but no I never did meet Elvis still a big fan big <laughs> yeah.
0: Elvis oh, fan. Oh, I always yeah.
4: was from the very
0: first record absolutely and to be in that same Hall of Fame with Elvis has got to be just an absolute honor it's got to be something that you cherish to know oh, yeah, as the it people. Is. Yeah, it is.
4: Elvis is unbelievable he is, He's the best looking man I, I believe I have ever seen in my life. If he, if he, if he had kissed me on the ear, I'd have been in trouble because
0: he's so pretty. One of my, one when of my it was 18, 19 years old, I got a quick little story. One of my staff that works for me, does social media. I told her I'm interviewing you and she's a fan of country music. And I, I sent her a picture and she said, and she said to me, I mean, the, the latest country music. And she said to me, you look a little bit like George Strait. He said, you're really cute, especially in the albums back in that time. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to tell her that I said that during the interview. <laughs> so you were a heartthrob, Bobby, uh, right? Right, especially at your prime, were you a heartthrob for oh, fans? Well, back, yeah.
4: Back when I was younger, I didn't know it, but but I look at those pictures now, and boy, I, I'm hot. <laughs> but it uh, looked like George straight now. George, George's a good-looking guy, <laughs> yeah. skinny, skinny little guy. His legs are not as big around as
0: a bird. A-abs- absolutely, and so Bobby. Uh, exciting times for you for sure where's the best place we can find information on you um you have a website for people to find info on you and uh yeah where can we go bobby bobbybear.com awesome bobby great talking to you really enjoyed learning about you and uh what you're doing and best of luck and you're welcome to come on to tell stories another time for sure especially about country music and the country music hall of fame continued success and continued, uh, continued to keep going, keep on going and show what a great performer you are that you want to keep uh, performing for your fans and you love what you do. So thanks again for calling.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Take care, Bobby. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com and I am really excited Uh, about my guest today. Uh, She is a uh, world-renowned documentarist, HBO documentaries, but she wrote a book, uh, a a very, very interesting book, so I'm excited to welcome the program. Sheila Nevins, author of You Don't Look Your Age and Other Fairy Tales. Sheila, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm happy to be here. How uh, do you look your
3: age?
0: Uh, I don't look my age I, I mean it, it, when I grow my beard I look older but when I shave my beard I look very young still even I'm 44 meaning I still can be people and I tell 44? yeah.
3: God, I could be your mother.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I mean, oh, I, I'm. No,
3: you don't even know anything about age at 44. Not I, fair. <laughs> Why are some people younger than others? It's not fair. It's like some people being richer than others.
0: Exactly. You're you're so right about it. I mean, but no, I, I think I, you should be older so that you could understand my plight. I can I, I, I understand I, I, it. I, I, Why did
3: they give me this young child? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, I understand. Made, you're probably not even gray yet. Are you? Gray oh, yeah, yet? I have a little bit of gray. Yes, and my wife told me this week. Why I don't you get gray, gray? 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 You're, um, that, so like, if I have, wear my beard or goatee, I have gray. I understand aging. There's oh, the. You're really a kid.
3: You're yeah. a kid. Yeah. You're just a kid. <laughs> you want to know about my book? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I want to know about my your book.
3: My book is about pretty much being a woman, growing older working in your 70s, going to sleep at 30, waking up 40 years later and you're in your 70s, and saying to yourself, Wow, whoa, whoa, where have I been? What did I do? Did I really have a sick kid? And did I raise him so that he's good now? Did I really have a mother who had a horrible disease called Raynaud's? Did I really get... um, the tail off the hamster and have my son call me a murderer because I, I tried to clean the cage and I was afraid to lift him because he was so disgusting. You know, did I really have gallstones that looked just like the stones outside my house and in Connecticut that looked exactly the same oh that I thought gosh. maybe I was part of the universe? Was I really, you know, having a facelift? Was oh. I so disgusting that I was going to actually pursue youth in this artificial, superficial manner? Anyway, these are 50, 47 actually short stories about growing up, growing old, things you keep inside yourself, not talking about how old you are, working in your 70s, being tired earlier, and just being upfront about the short time you're here the good, the bad, the funny, the indifferent. It's all there. And it's also a CD with very famous people who all did me a favor. I paid no That's one. Fantastic. From Meryl Streep to Martha Stewart. To Gloria Steinem, to Leslie Stahl, to Liz Smith, to Rosie O'Donnell, um, Kristen Baranski, RuPaul, Ellen Burstyn, wow. Kathy Bates. I called them all. I said, please. They knew who I was. They loved me enough to do it. Whoopi Red. Um, she was hard to get. Edie Falco, Tova Felcher. I mean, all these great people. Gail King. They did it. They did that's it for so me, fantastic. and it made me feel good about myself, and it's a great CD, and I'm selling myself cheap.
0: That, that's, a, hey, you see, that, that's okay, Sheila. You, you always had to sell uh, the product that you were behind the scenes with HBO and other documentaries. But it's documentaries. isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. so
3: horrible no. that you have to—I'm used to selling other people's work, <laughs> and that's simple because you don't have to brag. <laughs> but, now I'm selling myself, <laughs> and I'm in the position of being one old two, working in my 70s, and three, I'm selling a book and a CD like a
0: hawker, like a hooker. No, that's how it is in selling uh, books. Am I yeah. you? no, no, you're not embarrassing me. Trust me. I love this because I can. I I think that when you talk about aging, don't always think about we in our forties, especially when I turned forty, I felt it. I can't eat as much food as I used to be able to eat. I can't. Uh, I'm not able to. Um, you know, perform as well in certain aspects, sports, different things like that. So I know what's going to happen next. I talked perform to perform like sexually. <laughs> what do you mean by perform, perform. I guess sport. So we'll go that far, or Sheila. Yeah. Either you're a magician
3: or you're talking about <laughs> nighttime
0: sports, <laughs> sports, different activities, not having the energy that I had before. That can mean of stuff. Like,
3: like soccer and all that stuff, yeah, not basketball.
0: No, nah, it's good. In 40, are you no.
3: overweight?
0: No, not at all. No, it's the, the, the age, it starts aging. I was a former professional wrestler, so my body's pretty beat down at this age so 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 you
3: wore yourself out before you even got into this business
0: yeah yeah yeah
3: but i mean you know we're here a short time we're made we're like protoplasm with muscles and bones and nerves and all that stuff and we we're upright for a short amount of time and they knock on your door at different birthdays and they say hello you're older hello you know try to laugh hello have a good life because it's all you've got. Hello, be good to exactly. your friends, because they exactly. all you've got. Hello, yeah. love your family. Yeah. In some way, they love you back even though they don't always show it. Hello, there are funny things that happen every day of your life, and there are terribly tragic things that happen. I had a friend who was dying of ovarian cancer, and um, she said, Sheila, no more. Chemo, no more radiation. All I want is chocolate. So every time I visited her, I brought her a different kind of chocolate. You know, like sometimes I brought, you know, Kit Kat. Sometimes I brought Godiva. Sometimes I brought a chocolate cake. Sometimes that, you know, Mm -hmm. she could have lived forever because there's so many varieties of chocolate, but she didn't. And when she died and when I kissed her, she had chocolate on either side of her lip. And I took the little wet tissue that's always near a sick person's bed and I spit on it a little bit. I didn't have to worry about hygiene anymore and I wiped off the chocolate oh. so she looked as beautiful as she'd always looked. But these stories in this book are like that. They're real people stories right. about goodbye, hello and ha ha ha. And that's my book. And the C D is it's fantastic you know, yeah. full of wonderful, people, famous yeah. people who identified with some of these stories. Listen, not everybody loved me, not everybody said yes, but a lot of great people said yes. And that's my book and that's my CD and I'm hawking it. I'm hooking it. I'm
0: selling it. <laughs> Isn't that and horrifying? No, no, no it's, it's not horrifying because it's important that you have some interesting stuff. So pe- That's a great beach read to look it back and say, okay, look at how talented you are. The success you've had in documentaries and writing and now you are telling what your life was like throughout that time. Yeah, but I'm not th- talking about my work. No, Even I know. That's, that's right. But, but, strange uh, and a lot of people have uh, criticized uh,
3: me for really? that. Oh.
0: But I feel like my work is my It speaks for itself. Exactly, completely. How do you
3: explain your work? You go to work and you have an idea and you fix the idea. How do you write that? I don't know how to write that, but I sure can tell you what it's like when your son discovers you've pulled the the tail off his hamster and he comes home from camp and he calls you a killer. says, you tried to kill my hamster, Teddy. I can tell those stories because they've never been documentaries, but I, I, I never told them. So I thought, what the hell, before it's all over, I'll type them out. Oh, I don't think you use the word type anymore,
0: do you? <laughs> no, I don't think so, but no, no, no worries. So where's the best place What's we can purchase? Uh, I guess uh, I, I, that's, that's a good question. I, I guess uh, there's so many different ways. But, Sheila, where's the best place we can find information on you, purchase your book, and learn more about you? Where can we go? Amazon. Amazon?
3: And your local bookstore. Amazon, yes. You don't look your age and other fairy tales. iTunes, you can get easily. The, the CD with all these famous people reading the stories. <clears throat> so you can listen to it on the CD in your car. Um, and, you know, you can give your local bookstore a break, yes. right?
0: Yes, that's that's the writer in you I saying mean, that. I agree with you know,
3: bookstores are trying to sell books. Oh. Go give them the extra $2. So it won't be Amazon. Absolutely. Buy a book. If, even if you don't buy mine, keep <laughs> so, your
1: bookstore
0: alive. See, that's great. And can we connect with you on social media? Are you on social media as well, Sheila?
3: Yes, I am I have a Twitter account. I have a Facebook account. I'm trying to keep up with them. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I made several friends on Twitter. One woman wanted to know where I got my hair dyed, and she lived in Buffalo, and I'm meeting her for coffee next week. How cute. And another woman, you know, wanted me to write something to her mother who was ill, and she turns out to be a well-known um, African-American singer in California. So, yeah, I'm kind of like looking at the world before it's all over. And hopefully
0: they're looking back. All right. Well, Sheila, thanks for calling. Uh best of luck and trust okay, me, I'm I, 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 so
3: sorry you're so young. No, nah, nah,
0: I'm really not nah, really nah, I'm not but sorry. I, I still age like everyone else. Trust I me. Mean, you must
3: feel terribly guilty about being forty-four and I my heart goes out to
0: you. <laughs> All right. Well, Sheila, thanks for calling and, and best of luck and congrats congratulations you. on thanks your thanks success. All right, take care. Thanks. Bye bye. You listen to the Neil Haley Show.
6: Welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at Soul and you dot and I'm always excited about Friday. My co-host, Coach Karen Hall. So Coach, how are you? And thanks for calling again. Uh, excited about the, our, our guest today, aren't you?
5: Yeah, Neil. It's really good to be back on the show. Had a couple Fridays we had to take care of some business, but I'm excited to introduce our guest. He's a um, Pittsburgh native, played the the Hill football, Terrell Green, who took his talent to the university, of Miami. So Terrell, how are you today?
7: I'm doing well, thank God. How you doing?
5: Yeah, good to hear from you. How's the Queen City
7: doing today? It's doing good. A little bit hot down here. Um, we've been under these storms and, and hot weather popped up storms every day. Uh but other than that it's great. You know, sunny skies and, and, and good weather <laughs> and good people. Good. Well
5: it's sure nice to have you on the line with us and thanks for calling today. But Terrell, we always like to start from not so far back, but talk to us about how football became your sport as you were a young prepster. How did you get involved in football?
7: Well, um, you know, it's, being from Pittsburgh, everybody plays football. But for me, I, I actually I love basketball, and I played it all the time. But as time, you know, uh, went on, uh, instead of getting taller, I got wider. So I <laughs> had to put the basketball down and uh, pick up a football. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
6: okay. That was good, I <laughs> Yeah, that, that was great. And so what, did someone say, hey, you should play football, or you just like playing multiple sports?
7: Well, well I play multiple sports. I, you know, down the street from where I lived, that was a basketball court. And, you know, that was like the daily thing. And then we would spill off and play street football. And, you know, like I said, I, I always loved basketball. I grew up, you know, a Georgetown fan, a Pitt fan. You know, okay. I, I I love Dr. J and, and Charles Barkley. Those were my idols mm-hmm. growing up. But, you know, after I got 6'3", you know, I didn't get any taller. But, you know, I, I kept getting wider. So, um, right. it, it just made sense.
5: But, you know, you, you ended up at Woodland Hills High School. So, the Woodland Hills that I'm familiar with was Coach yes. Novak. He produced all these football Americans like yourself that went on to play at major Division ones like yourself. So was Wooden Hills that same Wooden Hills that you played in at that time?
7: Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually the first class to go from tenth grade to twelfth grade at Woodland Hills High School. Um and, you know, it, it that, that was actually the thing that probably, you know, got me to the place I, I you know, going to the University of Miami just simply because there were kids there trying to do something different. Where I grew up, you know, there wasn't many kids that that, that um that uh, made it to college. I think there's only one. And that was Brian Chismar. But after that, there was very few people. But when I went to Woodland Hills, it was a different culture. Kids were going to college. They were talking about college, and you know, I wanted to be a part of that.
6: Okay. And, interesting. And you you knew uh, was there a tradition at Woodland Hills that when you when you wa- you walked into this building, and you knew you know the, the players that played there and different things. Did it feel did it feel like something so Special about Woodland health that you know hey,
7: no, well see well i we started the tradition the tradition started oh, with us started. So I was
6: like the, oh, okay. I think
7: I was the first kid to get to make it to the big thirty three from there uh there was other couple mm-hmm. kids wow. that went to school uh but I, I you know I think I'm you know the first kid to 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 you know do some things and and um there was great athletes all around i mean I wasn't the, the first great athlete by any means. Uh there was, you know, you know the guys like Mike Lee and, and some of the other guys that played before me there, Hank Ramsey, they did a, you know, great job, you know, as I was growing up a couple years ahead of me. But still, um, I think I was the first one to, to, you know, step out a little bit further than probably most of them did. So you're sense, setting a sure.
5: standard at Woodland Hills and the football tradition is being built there. So talk about, because you end up, with, end up going to the University of Miami, but talk about the academic piece of high school because you were this star student athlete. Talk about the balance of the academics and the athletics and how that went for you.
7: Yeah, I was hoping we weren't going to talk about this, but.
6: Okay. Thank
7: the The beautiful thing is, I was not a star student athlete, but I can definitely speak on it. Um, you know, I grew up in a time where you know they had Prop 48 and things of that nature that helped right. you know, students get into school. And I was the I was the first year after Prop 48. So in my class, if you didn't have the grades, you you weren't going to school. Um, I somehow I had a, um, uh, I had a very low GPA. It was it was right at the 2.0 range. I won't go any any more to depth with that, but,
6: but I did pass right.
7: my SAT. And so that allowed me to have some opportunities. And what happened was my my, uh, my high school counselor, Mr. Badowski, uh after you, only people that could actually, you know, get me into school was Miami and a couple other private schools because my grades were so low and they had different mm-hmm. requirements that they had to go off of. But Mr. Brodowski, he went back to my, um, my sixth grade achievement test score and I'd scored in like the 95th percentile in, in math in, at that time. And he okay. went back there, and he wrote a letter to the University of Miami and the and the trustees to let them know that, hey, this kid can learn. He may not be showing it right now, but he does have the potential. And that's how, actually, I went to the University of Miami. So, you he know, is. it is important to have the grades, but I had to have a whole lot of help to get there.
6: Yeah, it And when you're in that process, you know, of you're just trying to, you know, Academics. Why work academics as important? Is just basically just based on just uh, the process of focusing on other things at that age, and, and a lot of people get into that certain way. Don't you agree, Trill? In a way, he No, no. I was trying to explain that you know when you're uh, academically, uh, because of all these other distractions that can happen when you're a great student athlete especially in high school, how, how did, was it a challenge for you to kind of hit the books and do the other, or is it more just, you know, you just were young and just um, naive at that point?
7: I think all those played a a part to it. Uh, For me, I started out in in ninth grade. I was at Swisswild high school and I had a very, very bad year. Uh, I think I failed a couple of classes and then trying to pull that up. You know, my grades did get better over the course of the years, but it was such Mm -hmm. a low hole that I, I had to dig out of that, you know, and then there was no one really around me that went to school to encourage me. You know, we didn't have someone saying, Hey, you can go to college. It was just, you know, it was more or less don't, don't live out the streets, you know, do what you got to do, but don't be in the streets. Mm. So when you look at
5: that process today, I'm sorry. When you look look back through and see how it all formed for you and and it played out. So for our listeners, for someone in that same situation right now, same situation you were in, what advice would you give to them so that they cannot uh, maybe go further, deeper down from where they are at this moment? What would
7: you say? Well, uh, you know, the, the thing I teach even now I coach high school football is I tell the kids to manage uh-huh. your organization. You know, basically manage what you can now because if you don't manage it now, someone else is going to manage you later. So if you, the more responsibility you take over your grades, over your life, uh, you know, everyone's not a great student. I get it. But if you put the time in now, then it's going to pay off somewhere down the road later. And it may be past college. It may be somewhere else. But if you, the more good decisions you make now, the less you get to worry about making decisions when you get older. And, you know, then you, you're you made to do something instead of have a decision to do something. So I, mm. I just try to encourage them, try to work with them. Uh, you know, in the classrooms, I, you know, I, I go down and I hunt them down. You know, even our student athletes here, I hunt them down if they're messing around in class. I didn't have anybody to do that, you know, for me
6: at that point in time.
7: Even my own son, you know, I, I'm his worst nightmare. You know, spend time doing what you have to do so you can be effective. Not only, you know, in case what happens if you can't play, you know, you have to live your life mm-hmm. just in case. You know, you you got to put that. You know, hey, in case I don't do it, what can I do? So there's nothing mm-hmm. promised in this world. So just make sure that you, you know, if if you don't play football again or play soccer or whatever else again. That you're still able to go to college because, you know, you put the time in. You may have to get a scholarship, uh, you may have to get a grant, but those things are still, you know, available to you if, if that's a place you want to go.
6: And that and that's, yeah, that's great advice. And, and that's great advice, Terrell, because you, you lived it and you see it and you don't wanna have that situation happen to your players, right? And you see that importance of that bond you establish for your players to be that mentor, right?
7: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said, and I can tell them the stories. I, you know, they ask me all the time, you know, how did you do? And I'm honest with them, and, and, I, and I let them know mm-hmm. I don't want you to be me. I want you to, you know, I, there were schools that came in, hey, you know, Terrell, you're a good athlete, but your grades are terrible. We can't recruit you. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you want to you be able to go where you want to go because you worked hard and, you, you know, and you've earned the opportunity to, to be a student athlete somewhere. Nice. So please, when you say please, that sorry. you, uh,
5: there were schools that came in, recruit you, but so did you get, did you have the experience of the recruiting process and was it just down the end where they said, well, because of the grades. So talk about your high school, your senior year as far as recruitment and like some of the schools that were, you know, that were interested in you.
7: Well, you know, I, I went on four trips. Um, I did have a recruiting process. I mean, I got a lot of uh, as the time went on, but when they came in and look at my grades, the interest went down. I mean, I had um, I think I had a trip scheduled for West Virginia. They called me back like the week of the trip and said, Hey, we don't we don't you know, we don't want you anymore. Uh Pitt, you know, because they had a massive um Prop forty eight situation the year before, they didn't even give me a chance because my grades were so low. Uh Penn State didn't want me, uh, because my grades were low. But there are some schools oh, wow. that did take it opportunity, take chances on me. You know, I I you again know, I went to Tulsa which was a private school. I went to Miami, which is a private school. And those are the best options I had. And I think if those didn't work out, I probably would have had to go to junior college route. Mm.
6: Mm. That's an interesting, interesting uh, point. And then Miami took the shot with you. And that was the biggest, yeah. great thing. And especially let's talk about going to Miami. We were talking tradition, how you establish the tradition at Woodland Hills, your team. Then you go to Miami. And that experience of playing for the Hurricanes—I mean, it must, and going and running on that field—it must have been just unbelievable. Well, it
7: was—it was, it was absolutely—you know—the more I, the, I'm older now, I think I, I get more shocked by it now than I did then as an as 18, 19-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, just, it's a different style, a different place. You know, going from Pittsburgh to Miami—the music, the lifestyle. It just yeah. you know it was it was uh, it was a different place and it taught me a lot of things not only football wise but in the world um, of just things that you can you know you can accomplish if you if you put your, your your mind to it and and you know the one thing about University of Miami we worked really really hard and it was hot it was painful but you know it was it was a grind but we expected to win and you know we never went to a game you know believing that we were going to lose and. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, it was just you know Pittsburgh is is more you know three yards in a cloud of dust and you know football played the old fashioned way. You know Miami was sort of like that, but it was like you know two point oh and with speed. So you mm-hmm. know it was it was it was definitely a a, a, a a great time with great people, and you know I I, I had a, a you know an awesome time. Sounds like it. Sure.
5: Um, so you gained all American status at the university of uh, Miami.
7: Yeah. I mean, it, and that's, that's like
6: a, a little,
7: I was, and that's, that's the other thing. I was a knucklehead then then too. I didn't learn my lesson. <laughs> <at Willing Hills>.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
7: so, you know, I got another chance to prove that I was a knucklehead and I, and I did it again. And, you know, it cost me a whole lot more this time than it did at Willing Hills. Um, but you know, I, I was I was featured in All American. I think I made one All American team afterwards, which I, I don't think they uh, they really view it as an All American team. But nonetheless, you know, it was I was mentioned there. Um, you know, no doubt, you know, could have done it. But again, I, I I stayed in the doghouse, you know, pretty much my whole career there. Uh, but mm. thankfully, I was able to play well enough to, to, to play a lot. But you know, I stayed, you know, pretty much in the doghouse.
6: <laughs> Interesting. And, but so you so you're an all American in what year were you an all American? So. It was ninety four. Um and I, I said I made you know, said I was preseason
7: and then uh after the after the year I think there's one I I've seen the, the only reason why I know because they was on like uh one of the things I looked at on Google, it, it says it. Um but um you know I, think I made the the biggie teams a couple times um during my my time there, but I think it was 1994.
5: Mhm. And who was your coach at that time?
6: Uh, Dennis Erickson was the head coach. Okay. Yeah, I'm already okay. on Wikipedia, just taking a look at this really quickly. Now you're talking about that tradition. It was established at Miami, and then we see all these. Thirty for thirty specials, things like that, was it as crazy as these thirty for thirties when you talk about Miami football. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was, it was crazy.
7: Um, it, it definitely was a lot of things going on. Uh, it, you, you know, there, all schools are not made the same. You know, the NCAA has rules, um, for you know the the majority, but you know when you go to to a city. The life it it just moves a little bit different, and and it, it's just not the same. And yeah. I guarantee you, you know, if if somebody ever opened up the books of all the things that went on in any university, uh, let alone Miami, you, you'd probably be shocked.
5: Yeah, but I, I agree with you. Every university is different. I mean, and when you we're talking about football today in that way. But being a you know the alumni University of Nevada Las Vegas alumni, <laughs> it was sort of the same way with the um, men's basketball, you know, with Coach Tark. Yeah. So um, yeah, I get a very good point that most that universities are all different.
6: So now going into now thinking the history of this hurricane, Dennis Erickson was a definitely a different coach than Jimmy Johnson, and there were players that yeah. were played for Jimmy. That ended up playing for Dennis. What did you see as the differences in uh, what they talked about, especially playing with a guy like Warren Sapp and things like that? That uh, you learned from that freshman year of how was your freshman year '94, or am I on the wrong number? No, yeah. freshman. My freshman year was 1990. Okay, so you're, you're all American in '94. Gotcha. Okay.
0: So yeah. you're senior. Year. Yeah. So
6: you you were you're able to play. So did you play the Erickson all four years, or did you miss Jimmy all altogether? Jimmy, Lachlan I missed Jimmy
7: there. altogether. It was his. It was it was Dennis's uh, second year there when I got there, because oh, he went okay. there the first year before me. They won a national championship, and now I was the second year, I believe.
6: I got you. Okay. Okay. So playing with so, guys like yes. Warren, yeah, go go, coach, you go.
7: No, please go. Please go.
6: No, no, playing with players like. Warren Sapp, what did you learn? Especially, you know, getting All American in your senior year. What did you learn from these 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 unbelievable athletes from Miami, playing with these guys? Well, you
7: you know, you didn't you didn't the the funny thing about it is the guys that we played with were you know unbelievable unbelievable athletes. You didn't realize how great they were until afterwards. You know, we practiced right. against Ray and, and Warren. You know, every day, and you know, I used mm-hmm. to get cussed out for not being able to block Warren, and you know, come mm-hmm. to find out, the dude's the first ballot the Hall of Famer. So, you know, I feel a little mm-hmm. better now, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. knowing that, knowing that, you know, I, I was the only one that couldn't block him on a regular blais- basis. I mean, we've had our, mm-hmm. we had our battles. I mean, I wasn't a slouch by any means, um, mm. but, you know, Warren's a great athlete. You know, he's a great player, a great competitor. And, and, you know, when you have a guy like that, and not only him, I mean, we had, I think, my senior year, our defensive line, I think there was three first-rounders and a very hot pick in the second round, you know, across the board. So... It was a battle every day.
6: So that, guys, no, no, so me- that's crazy.
5: No, yeah. Go ahead, no, up. Uh, no, mentally, Terrell, when you're out there against a warm sack and you're getting touched out and chewed out about not being able to talk to him, what does that do to your psyche? So when you go into the next game, are you ready to take it out, like, on the opponent? Because, you well, know, no, you I can't mean, get this one done. but So you're going to take no. it out on the guy that, you, that you'll be across from on Saturday.
7: Well, I mean that was that was always the, the, you know the thing to take out to the guy. I I didn't have a a problem with you know my ability, um, my thought process. Right. So like I mean I mean I I won my battles too against him. He wasn't undefeated, um, but definitely you know looking back at it, he was a great athlete. But going out there, you know, practice was definitely harder than playing in most games. Um, I don't think there's many games that I, I faced that was with anybody that was as challenging as the guys. Not only Warren, but you know the guys that we practice against on a daily basis. So,
6: you know, it, my, my, my psyche, my, my, um, uh. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
3: It's my little escape.
6: Now Judy's the life of the party.
3: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
6: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>